Welcome to the Sword and the Trowel. The Sword and the Trowel is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. And I'm Tom Askell. And I'm Graham Gundy. We're glad to be coming to you from Cape Coral, Florida, where in just a couple of days we will begin the National Founders Conference. Big and, week for us. Yeah, great week and a great time uh, to be down in Southwest Florida. Mm-hmm. The weather is tremendous. Uh, right now it's sunny. Uh, I think we're predicted to have 70s you know, during the day, maybe down low 60s or so at night. So uh, uh, just keep that in mind as you think about getting in your car and driving down here. I think there are a few registrations still open. You can register at the door. We were just informed. So as long as that is uh, possible, then you can walk up and register as well. So we look forward to having you here. If you can make it down to this conference on Militant and Triumphant, the Doctrine of the Church. Uh, registration is, if you do register at the door, it's Thursday at 10 a.m. is when it opens. Is that correct? Right, yeah, that is correct. All right. Wow, that's that's very good. Very good. And the pre-conference is Wednesday night uh, here at Grace Baptist Church. And I know we were pretty tight on those, but I think there's still some um, openings there. You can go to founders.org and look at the conference information and just find the pre-conference registration where Vody Balkum and I will be addressing the issue of the call and talking about what that means individually for Christians and what that means in corporately for churches. Uh, if there's still registration is open for that. We'd love to have you come to that on Wednesday night as well. Well, uh, we are wanting to talk today about life in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, founders existed in its origins. We came up out of uh, concerns for what was going on in the Southern Baptist Convention. Over the years, we've gotten much larger and broader in our kind of scope of things, and so we're not specifically limited to Southern Baptist concerns, and uh, we are grateful for everything the Southern Baptist Convention does and want to see good things happen in the SBC, but we realize, as we always have, the kingdom of God is far broader than that, and so our ministry and mission has expanded beyond the borders of the SBC, but we're very much concerned about what goes on in the SBC, and we are a Southern Baptist Church here, Cape Coral, Grace Baptist Church. And so but we don't tell anybody about that. <laughs> well, we don't put it on our calling card, just like we don't put Reformed on our calling card. You know, we, we want to be known for things that are right, good, and true. And uh, there's nothing essentially bad about those things. But we want the, uh, the gospel of Christ to be central. We want the accomplishments on the cross and the resurrection to be our motivation and our power and our focus. And so all of those things are what are more important to us than identifying with a convention of churches or even with uh, a historical systematic theology, though we're unashamedly reformed in Mm -hmm. our understanding of how the the Bible reads. Love that 1689. That's right. We are a confessional church. Now, I have been Southern Baptist for all my life. In fact, I was a Southern Baptist long before I was a Christian, which is uh, true for many Southern Baptists. (laughs) So (laughs) we'll just leave that there. But anyway, I was in the cradle roll, you know, the whole deal. My mom made sure that uh, I was brought up in that church and that was a Southern Baptist church. I praise God for all the good things that I uh, benefited from growing up in that context. You are kind of a Johnny-come-lately to oh, the yes. SBC, right? Very late. So I grew up Mennonite yeah. um, for, for most of my life. And then I left home, went to school at a predominantly Presbyterian school. And I found out, actually, when I started hanging out with Presbyterians, that I actually was a Baptist. I, never, <laughs> I just never knew it. Because basically anyone who's not Presbyterian, Lutheran, or Catholic is a Baptist. Is a Baptist. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Um, so I was there and went to, was a member of Presbyterian Church. And then, uh, so I was not Southern Baptist, uh, though I would have called myself Baptist. I wasn't Southern Baptist until I came to Grace. Okay. All right. So how's that been for you? What's the trauma been like? Uh, I still... I'm still not talking about it. I can't. <laughs> what do your friends think of you now? You know, you, you started friends. slumming, right? 
uh, it's funny. I mean, this, that, this happens a lot. Um, when I first came to this church, there was a, a man who joined shortly after I became pastor, uh, Bruce Stewart, dear godly man, I mean, godly genius, brilliant in terms of his uh, thinking and understanding. He had been a pastor. He was afflicted with MS, and so he had to resign from being um, uh an active pastor, but he came and he, he served in this church wonderfully well until, until he, he uh, uh, died. And, and uh, just, you know, he was a great friend of mine, great supporter of me. And uh, Bruce was conservative Baptist. So that was his circles. You know, that's where he grew up. That's where he ministered in conservative Baptist churches. And I used to tease his wife because, you know, they always kind of had some real hesitancies about Southern Baptists. And, and every once in a while I'd say, well, Faith, what's it feel like to be married to a Southern Baptist pastor? You know? <laughs> <laughs> She'd grin, you know, but uh, it is, uh, it's different. And uh, some people make Southern Baptist identity to be uh, so important that I think it ultimately diminishes the effectiveness of being Southern Baptist. And I think that's what we've been afflicted with a lot in my lifetime of uh, being within Southern Baptist contexts is that there are people that think this is the be all, this is the end all. And I was raised that way, quite Mm -hmm. honestly. I remember being in college had a roommate who was very big in intervarsity and uh, this was my last year there and he was a really good guy best roommate I ever had at Texas A&M and so he and I would talk about spiritual things I started pastoring a church during my senior year at A&M and he gave me a book one time and I, I remember doing this I looked at the back of the book to see who the publisher was and I saw saw IVP and more importantly, I didn't see CP, which was, you know, Cooperative Program Press or Convention Press. And so I just put it up on the shelf. I didn't even open the book and I just left it there. And so, you know, I graduated and I go to seminary and I begin reading and I have my theological world turned upside down and begin to discover uh, writers that I never knew about that were really, really helpful to me. One of them, J.I. Packer, and people were recommending this book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. And, oh, man, that's a great book. I got to get that book. And I went and looked. And that's the book my roommate had given me, you know. So I hadn't read the book. Pearls Before Swine. Uh, yeah, you know. Uh, but, I mean, that was just my mentality. If it's not convention press, it's probably not that important, you know. And if I can get mm-hmm. to it one day, I will. Well, that kind of thinking has done us in as Southern Baptists, I believe. And uh, there's been a triumphalism that many have reacted against over the last 30 years or 40 years or so. And I'm, I'm a part of that. And praise God for rejecting a triumphalism type of attitude that, hey, we're the be all, the end all. But the Southern Baptist Convention matters. Mm-hmm. It's the largest Protestant uh, organization, uh, convention of churches in North America, maybe in the world. And it is a great missionary sending agency. Uh, the SBC educates one third of the ministers in the United States. Uh, there are billions of dollars of uh, infrastructure that have been built and invested in by generations of faithful men and women who love Jesus and want to see the gospel go around the world. And so what happens in and to the SBC it matters. And mm-hmm. because it matters, you know, if you're going to be Southern Baptist, you ought to try to be a good one. And that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to do in our church. So, uh, Graham, we talked about just having this conversation today in light of what's going on in the SBC, what's coming up. Our good friend Josh Bice recently announced that their church in Georgia, outside of Atlanta, in Praise Mill uh, Baptist Church, or the name of the church, that they have just severed all formal uh, affiliations with the SBC. I understand that. I don't fault Josh for that. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not doing that at Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral. But the very concerns that Josh outlined in the article that he published describing why they were leaving are concerns that we share 
and we've talked yeah. about it a long time. And our elders have discussed this, and we've mentioned it to the congregation. Our congregations had conversations about it, and and we've had people in our church say, "Why are we still in the convention?" You know, this they see things going on, things that some leaders in the SBC will say or do, and they'll think this is not right. Why are we still in the convention? So, how do you answer that question to? Uh, your friends that are not Southern Baptists that are scratching their heads about why you are mm-hmm. and to church members who would say, why are we staying in? Yeah. Well, the, the question is, so what happens if we leave? What yeah. happens when we leave? A lot of people don't understand the level of cooperation that happens within the Southern Baptist convention. A lot of people are coming from different denominations in which the denomination really does have some sort of authority or some sort of power over the local congregation, whether you're coming from a Presbyterian mm-hmm. or a Methodist or a Lutheran background, um, the Southern Baptist Convention is not like that. The, you know, the Baptist Faith and Message, which is the official confessional statement of the Southern Baptist Convention, you know, that is not binding upon us. You know, the 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 decisions from the the convention that happens every year that's not binding upon us. And mm-hmm. so, in one sense, if the Southern Baptist Convention completely ceased to exist tomorrow, it wouldn't really have that great effect on our church. Furthermore, if we were to leave the convention tomorrow, that really wouldn't have a great effect on our church either. But what would the effect on the convention be? Now, we're just one church, mm-hmm. and so um, there's only so much we can do in a convention of, what, 43,000 churches? Yeah, nearly 50, 48,000, 48, something like that. 48,000 churches. Yeah. I mean, it's a massive, massive convention. Right. Um, but the more healthy confessional um, churches leave the convention, the less healthy the convention is going to be. Mm-hmm. And with a with an organization as massive as, and as influential as it is in American evangelicalism, uh, if it continues to, to lose healthy churches and it becomes less and less healthy itself, well, the influence it has over these other churches um, is going to be worse and worse. And so... Yeah. So in that sense, um, it's for the sake of the the church here in, in America, and then also the way in which the American church influences churches globally um, that we're continuing to stay in and continuing to fight um, really the kind of the rot that is in the SBC. Yeah, and yeah, so it's not a, a passive kind of oh, you know, we're Southern Baptists, that's all we're ever going to be. It's not that. Mm-hmm. It's look, we, we've got an opportunity here. We have a stewardship, and we ought to do our best to try to be faithful stewards in how we discharge the responsibility God's given to us in these relationships. And man, that doesn't mean that we want, uh, we're going to try to insist that every Southern Baptist church does everything the way Grace Baptist Church does. We know that being involved in a convention of churches like the SBC means there's going to be some pretty wide diversity and, and yeah. some, some diversity that's far too great for some friends of ours. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. You know, I, so I'm, we, we can love and agree with and cooperate with brothers and sisters that are on the same page we are theologically and in terms of mission thinking, and yet they just cannot be a part of a convention of churches that is broader than that. And that's all right. We, we've come to terms with how to live uh, with brothers that we disagree with on some important things, but we can cooperate with on more important things. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some, there's some health to that. There's dangers to that. No doubt, yeah. no doubt. But I think there's some real health to that. And if, as you pointed out, the good conservative churches pull out of the SBC, the SBC is not going to die. Mm-mm. It's going to continue on. It'll just be in the hands of really bad actors, and they will take it further and further away from streams of health. Mm-hmm. If you, if you want a um, cautionary tale to compare this to, I would just say, look at the PCUSA. 
what happened to the PCUSA in the 20th century when conservatives, they were kicked out, you know, and Machen was excommunicated out of that and then formed OPC. OPC, praise God for all the good things they've done, but the PCUSA didn't quit. You know, they, they just became more and more influential for bad stuff yeah. going on in the name of Christianity. And I don't want to see that happen. So I think it is worth contending for mm-hmm. and how you do that and what that looks like and what the goals ought to be. There's re- room for debate about those things. Yeah. You know, um, I don't want to characterize every church that leaves as this, but if we conservatives in whatever institution organization or context you're thinking of, we're, we're known for taking our ball and going home. Mm-hmm. Things aren't going the way that I want it to go here and now. So I'm going to take my ball and go home. I'm going to go start my own institution or organization and do this because this organization isn't what I want it to be. Uh, and we're just always, always on the retreat. We're mm-hmm. never, we're never on the offensive. We're never trying to take ground. We're always ceding more and more territory mm-hmm. either to the enemy or towards <laughs> brothers and sisters who are not doing things the way that they should be doing things. And so we're going to go start another organization. We're going to go start another institution, which in 50, 60 years, our descendants are going to do the same exact thing. And so what we do is we keep using our resources (laughs) to build institutions for the enemy. Yeah. You know, uh, Mark Coppinger, a good friend of mine, this ministry, uh, Mark said someone told him years ago, said, you know, most conservative institutions have a 50 year lifespan at best. And so you just ought to count on it. You're going to build it. You're going to get it going. You're going to hope to have a few decades where really good things are done. And it's going to be taken over by liberals or die out. And he said, you know, just that's just the lifespan of conservative evangelical institutions. And that may be true. I, I don't know. It certainly looks like it. And whenever you study some of the uh, uh, landscape of history. But again, that doesn't it doesn't keep us from bearing the weight of stewardship that mm-hmm. we have. And the Southern Baptist Convention has so many things historically that have been good. And please don't hear me saying that everything the SBC has done is good. It's not. There's been a lot of blemishes, a lot of things that have happened under the auspices of the SBC that are shameful. Mm-hmm. And we've renounced those and we ought to always abominate anything that is contrary to the word of God. But look at the good that has been done and the good that still can be done. But it won't be done if our institutions and agencies that are owned by the churches, churches bought, paid for them, churches still support them financially week by week with giving that uh, comes from faithful men and women and uh, people who some of them on fixed incomes, but they they believe in the mission. They believe in the, the idea that has been present now for multiple decades that we are trying to get the gospel around the world. We're cooperating for the greater cause of getting Christ to the nations. And that's right, proper and good. Well, that stewardship requires us to hold accountable the people who are in those institutions and agencies that we fund, including mm-hmm. the leaders of those institutions and agencies. And, and that's the thing that I think is hard for a pastor like me who's been in the SBC a long time and churches like ours who started in the SBC and some who've been in the SBC longer than the SBC has existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've had that identity to come to terms with is that we need to hold accountable these institutions and those who lead them. And if they're not going to be rigorously accountable to the churches, then they need to be removed. Mm-hmm. They need to step down and we thank them for their service, but we need people to lead us who understand what's going on culturally and recognize that there's a cultural play afoot that will corrode and destroy the very foundations of the things that we profess are 
most important to us. And as stewards of the gospel and having institutions that are designed to promote that and facilitate its spread, we have got to stand against those, that cultural acid that's just eating the foundations. Yeah, you know, and it's, I think a lot of people would make the argument that, okay, so the, some of the unhealthy things that we've seen in the convention recently, you know, Resolution 9 in 2019, the adoption of critical race theory as an analytical tool, things like that, um, you know, we've, we've kind of fixed those problems. We, yeah. we don't, we're not really dealing with those problems anymore. I mean, in 2021, we passed the resolution, was it Resolution 2, that uh, condemned any worldly ideology yeah, right. that... Um, and so you have these types of actions where it kind of just like glosses over right. the problem. And so resolution nine in 2019 was sinful for the Southern Baptist convention to, to take the worldly ideology of critical race theory, which promotes sinful activity, sinful activity of racism to take that and to promote it among SBC churches. It was sinful for us to do. And what do you do when you say, I mean, as Southern Baptists, I think last last year our convention the the theme was gospel overall or gospel mm-hmm. above all. Well, if we really believe the gospel, when we see that we're in sin, what do we do? We <laughs> we confess that sin, we <clears throat> repent of that sin, and we receive forgiveness from God. Well, when it came to repudiating critical race theory, as we had the opportunity to do at the convention, we couldn't even name it. Right. We couldn't even name the sin. How can you confess a sin and repent of a sin? If you can't name it, we couldn't name critical race theory in our, in our resolution to condemn critical, critical race theory. And it's that type of, you know, just sweeping things under the rug, kind of glossing over things because we don't want to offend a lot of people where, you know, we're a big tent. We got a lot of people we got to keep happy. And, um, our leaders have not been able to take a stand on issues like that. Yeah. That's what's been disappointing. Very disappointing and very disappointing. And I think too, some of these guys who've made those kinds of mistakes, they hope that the rest of us will just forget, you know, mm-hmm. we'll just let it go or that they'll come out and make a statement that really doesn't repudiate or doesn't express repentance or even sorrow mm-hmm. over what they've done. And then they'll say, well, we've already talked about that. We've already dealt with that. Why are you still bringing it He's up? Just playing politics. Exactly. I mean, so for example, our oldest seminary, the flagship seminary, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary has as a provost, a man who has not repented of saying, I am a racist and I will be a racist till the day I die. Mm-hmm. So the question Southern Baptists ought to be asking is why does Southern Seminary have as a provost a racist, a self-described racist? Mm-hmm. Now, people will be upset for me with me for saying that. Tom, how dare you? You know that Matt Hall didn't really mean it. Well, if he didn't really mean it, then just say, hey, look, you know what? I, I said something that was wrong. I shouldn't have said it, and I'm sorry I said it. He's not going to do that. You know, so, well, it was indelicate, or, you know, I could have said it better. Or, well, I want to know what you really believe. Yeah. And do you really believe that? And if so, why do we have a seminary whose provost is a racist? Mm-hmm. I mean, we ought to abominate that. Yeah. Uh, and we could just go down the list on this. Southeastern Seminary, you know, it's hired Karen Swallow Pryor. Karen Swallow Pryor endorsed. The notorious. The, yeah, <laughs> the notorious Karen Swallow Pryor by her own designation. Uh, endorsed the Revoice Conference. Revoice yeah. Conference that wants to normalize this uh, same-sex attractiveness for Christians. It's you know, and, and I've gone back and forth with her and I've talked to her president about this and it's just, well, she signed all the documents, you know, she's not a bad person. She's one of us. And she's accused me of all kind of stuff um, that I don't think I'm guilty of, but it, the, the facts are facts. She mm-hmm. endorsed it. She's not rescinded her endorsement of it. And okay, well, let's just broadcast that. Don't ship it down the memory hole. Southern Baptists who pay the salaries of these people, ought to be aware and just ask the questions. And our trustees 
of those institutions ought to be holding those institutions in trust for the churches. You know, the trustees of the Southern Baptist Convention institutions and entities don't need to see themselves as unpaid employees of those institutions and, and entities. Mm-hmm. Those, those things belong to the churches, and the churches elect trustees to hold them in trust. And that whole system's broken. Yeah. Yeah, and this is not us just being um, anti-elitist. You know, this is not this is not us just saying, you know, anyone who's in power in any in any way, you know, they just need to they need to step down. But if they if they are un, if people who are in power are unwilling to see their faults and confess their faults mm-hmm. and repent of their faults openly and um, actually manifest repentance and, and show the churches that they actually believe the gospel, they say they believe that they can receive forgiveness in Christ for these things. If they're not willing to do that, then they should be called to step down. But it, it takes, it really does take more than that. It takes more than Southern Baptists demanding leaders who are going to be convictional, leaders who are going to um, hold to what they say that they believe. Um, but we actually have to have people who are going to step up into those positions, people of integrity. Mm. Um, you know, I read an article recently where the question was, are you willing to be the elite? And so in a lot of conservative circles, you just have this anti-elitism where you're just going to criticize to, yeah. to death any leader. Um, but at a certain point, we have to ask ourselves, well, am I willing to step into that position and, and, and take the slings from, from the enemy and, and do what needs to be done? And so, you know, calling for um, for integrity in leaders may also mean that, you know, some of our listeners, if they're pastors mm-hmm. um, or in a position of leadership, to step up into a further position of leadership. Yeah. Uh, if you have a pastor in your congregation who you think qualifies uh, as one of these people who can be a leader, even in the Southern Baptist Convention, encourage them to step into a, a position of leadership because we desperately need men of conviction and men of integrity to lead. Yeah, well, that's a great point. You know, that is a really good point. And uh, I do think we've got men like that. I think there are guys that could. Uh, lead very well in various areas in Southern Baptist life. One area where we need good leadership that we don't have right now is with the SBC presidency. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't know Ed Litton personally, and I I don't have any animosity toward him personally, but when you look at the undeniable evidence of the multiple times that this man took other people's sermons and preached them as if they were his own, almost, almost word for word at points they are word for word, including personal illustrations, right. as if they were his own stories. Right. And then the way that he's responded to it, oh, well, one time, you know, I should have given J.D. credit for this, or, you know, a few unnamed critics have, have said this, but that's not it. It's what, look, what, what you did was really horrible. It was stealing. It was pretending to be something you weren't. And you need to repent. And I, it's a local church deal. You know, that, that church, if they want him to be pastor, hey, you know, that's their prerogative as a local church. But as the leader, the, the representative, the voice of the Southern Baptist Convention, I would hope that he would have enough integrity to step down and that those who love him and care about him and care about the SBC would encourage him to step down. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that hasn't happened. And so uh, we're going to Anaheim. God willing, in the latter part of our middle part of this year in June to have our annual meeting. And there, I'm sure, I don't know who, but I'm sure there will be at least one other candidate that will be set forward that we could vote on. And as we think about the next president of the SBC, which I hope will take office in June of 2022, uh, what kind of man should he be? 
Heath Lambert, who's the pastor of First Baptist Church Jacksonville, just wrote an article recently in which he said, you know, I'm already thinking about the next president of the SBC. And he said, we're going to, this, this is going to happen. You know, we're going to have people nominated as we move toward Anaheim. And he, he wrote what I thought was a pretty helpful article. He said, there, I'm looking for five key qualifications for president. And this is the man I'll endorse. He doesn't name anybody. He just says, this is what the guy needs to be. He needs to be a godly man. He says he needs to be a man whose integrity has integrity as a preacher of the word. He says, I'm, I'm going to vote for a man who's neither a racist nor woke. Well, I mean, I don't know any racists that have been president of the SBC in the last 50 years or so, but I'm okay, great. Neither racist nor woke. And he says, I'm voting for a man who's defined by transparent integrity. And so that's the kind of thing you're opposite of what you're talking about, where you don't shuffle mm-hmm. whenever people say, hey, what about this? I mean, th- you know, really, do we have a racist as a provost of our largest seminary? Can we do something about that? You know, and you, you don't no shuffle. nothing to see yeah, here. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's tra- transparency. Yeah. Okay. This was said, it was wrong. And he repents of that, or, or we're going to deal with that. And then he says, I'm going to vote for a man who puts first things first. He said, I don't have to agree with him on everything, but we need to agree on the main things. And Man, I read that article, I, I resonated, say amen. You know, I, I hope every Southern Baptist, not just pastor, but layman, will adopt these same principles as we move toward the convention in Anaheim. Yeah, it's like, uh, metaphorically speaking, the Southern Baptist Convention just has a sign on it that says, President Wanted, and we are taking <laughs> applications right now, yeah. so if you're interested in the position, please. That's right. Send your nominations in, right? <laughs> and we, we will forward them as uh, appropriate. Well, another really the significant challenge, the very significant challenge is the fact that this convention is scheduled for Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, we just ran out, read over before we came on today, the event guidelines for Anaheim, for the county where the Anaheim Convention Center is. And here it is as of today. Now they say they're going to update this in February. So maybe things will change here in a few weeks. But as of today, for all indoor events of 500 people or over, Masks are required for both vaccinated and unvaccinated people. And you must either have proof of full vaccination or a negative COVID test. So that's for any indoor event over 500 people. Well, the SBC will have more than 500 people. Now, if these policies hold, I, I would urge the Southern Baptist Executive Committee to move the convention out of Anaheim. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, they looked at that in 2021 when it looked like the Tennessee policies and Nashville policies were going to be too restrictive. Uh, There were efforts looking, Texas, Florida, other places, I was told, for venues that could host the SBC. And Southern Baptist Executive Committee, please uh, consider that. Don't, Don't set up something that's going to create even more difficulty for us to cooperate together as Southern Baptists. Let's try to find a place to meet where we can have as many Southern Baptists as want to come to have their voices heard, accommodated without these kind of draconian responses to the pandemic that we have seen across our nation and that seem to be in place now in Anaheim. So write the executive committee. That's something that you can do as a Southern Baptist, or even if you're not a Southern Baptist, write the executive committee. Pastors, churches, send messages to the executive committee that if these policies exist after February, then let's move the venue. It can be done. It's hard, 
but it can be done, and we would encourage that to take place. Yeah, it'll be difficult enough to get a significant representation in California for the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, the heart of the SBC is not on the West Coast, mm -hmm. um, and I don't have any problem with us having holding the SBC in Anaheim. Right. I think it can be a, a great thing, um, but having it in California and then on top of that holding people outside who can't come in for multiple reasons because of the the policies that are in place and, and not having representation for the Southern Baptist Convention um, it's just not a good good move for us exactly and so you know if you're going to be Southern Baptist be a good Southern Baptist and stand firm on the word and where you see entities and institutions or those serving in entities and institutions wavering on that or accommodating sinful currents in the culture stand against it call it out remember that these are people who are servants of our churches and if the servants of our churches are not doing the will of our churches as we are trying to stand firm for Jesus Christ they need to be held accountable and where there's sin involved they need to repent and if they won't repent then they need to be removed and that's what we as churches are accountable to God to do and I would encourage every Southern Baptist to take this seriously if you're going to be Southern Baptist then be a responsible Southern Baptist. You're going to be a Southern Baptist church, then take seriously the opportunity and responsibility to get to the convention and make your voice heard. Go and speak, become informed, and be Christian, not calling for any kind of pitchfork rebellion or anything like that. Uh, look your brothers in the eye that you think are wrong and say, you know what, brother, I think you're wrong and here's why. And I'm calling upon you to make things right. And if you want, well, then we're not going to be able to walk together. And uh, if you're in a position of responsibility and leadership, we're going to ask you to step down. Yeah, you know, it's it's tempting to think that the Southern Baptist Convention is too far gone. There's nothing we can do to save it. And if we're thinking in human terms, absolutely that's right. true. There is nothing we can do to save the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, but by the Spirit of God, I mean, the mm. Lord can do all things. And he's not promised to right. maintain the Southern Baptist Convention. He's not promised to keep us healthy or to keep us afloat. Um, but he certainly can do that. Mm -hmm. He can he can reform the Southern Baptist Convention and he can address all the issues that we have and he he's going to do that through churches. That's he, right. He does that through his his agents here in the kingdom of God. And so, don't be dismayed. Don't think that the Southern Baptist is too far, convention is too far gone because anything is possible with the Lord. Amen. And it's the the polity of the SBC is designed to change slowly, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. you, you don't want the convention being jerked back and forth every year based upon the amount of messengers who can get there in any one year. It's designed to change slowly, but it can change. It can change over time, but it's got to start. And if it doesn't start soon, well then, you know, the, I mean, people are already saying it's too far gone. Um, I believe in God and I believe that God can come and change things as you just articulated. And right now I think he's given us an opportunity and we ought to work hard to do our very best to see uh, spiritual health come to and remain in the SBC where it exists. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you again next week.